This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. It's good to have you with us. However you find this show... Podcast platforms, you're our earliest and beloved adopters. Radio stations around this great country, CBS News streaming, and of course, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. We have two hosts this week. We are at the Yours Truly Hotel, downtown D.C., next to it, and they're the supplier of our coffee this morning. Call your mother. So, now that we've got all that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen who are with this show on a regular basis, you know that in late February of this year, something happened that had not happened in Europe for nearly 70 years. A conventional war was launched by one country against another. It was a war, as all wars are, of choice and aggression. War crimes have been alleged by any rational measurement. War crimes have been committed by Russia in Ukraine. You'll recall at that time, this show devoted about six straight weeks to the implications of that war, that conventional war, Russia against Ukraine. We haven't devoted as much attention to that lately, but the story is still no less important as it was in late February of this year. I want to get back to that story and its implications, not just for Europe, but for the United States with a special guest. John Sullivan, he's just back to the United States. He was the Russian, the U.S. ambassador in Russia from 2020 to 2022, possibly in U.S.-Russian relations, the most important two years since the dawn of the Cold War. John Sullivan, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Major. It's great to be with you. Good to see you. So help my audience get a perspective because they may not have seen as many headlines in the last couple of months as they did in February, March, April, May. Where is the war Russia against Ukraine? What should we be looking for in the next few weeks? Well, uh, a couple of things, Major. It's, uh, of course, at the very start of the war, um, I think everybody uh, worldwide was surprised by the heroic 
Ukrainian resistance, and there's no other word for it than heroic. And let uh, me just stop you there. There was a legitimate fear within the U.S. government that Ukraine would fall. It wasn't just a fear. It was an expectation. I, I personally was, would, would, wouldn't have been shocked if Zelensky had been killed or if the... The if government the, decapitated and the country the, overrun. If the Russians had done to Zelensky what Brezhnev and the Soviets did to Dubček in Prague in 1968, sent 200,000 Warsaw Pact troops in, seized Dubček, put him on a plane, take him to Moscow, I would have thought that's the best that can happen to mm-hmm. Zelensky if he lives. Uh, but I'm not a military expert. But ex- those experts themselves were not expecting what happened. Uh, and it was a colossal failure by—it's not just the Russian military. It's their entire security system. It's the FSB. It's their border guards. They, they went into this military operation sort of on the cheap from their military side, their Ministry of Defense. The number of Russian soldiers, actually, who were involved— if the numbers, if the total number of Russians who went into Ukraine was somewhere around 180 or 200,000, they weren't all military. It was mm-hmm. the FSB, it was border guards, and it was a continuation of. And FSB hybrid, is the security it's service, the successor to the KGB. Right. It was this. It was a continuation of a hybrid war they had been waging against Ukraine for years in the east and throughout Ukraine mm-hmm. with cyber, you name it. But to, to your question about more recently, so you, the Ukrainians pushed them back from the strike on Kiev uh, and in Kharkiv. But the Russians make significant advances in the south, and they capture this important city of Kherson. And then the, you know, the, the action is focused on, uh, on the east in the Donbass. What's happened recently is the Ukrainian military has pushed the Russians back in the south, pushed them out of the city, of this important city of Kherson. And the Russians have been really on their heels for months now. The problem that the military, the, the Ukrainian military has is it's very cold, it's been muddy, it's been more difficult in this season for them to operate, but they've pledged to continue their military operations. And it's not going well for the Russian military on the ground. In response... The Russians have been launching standoff weapons, missiles, to blast the heck out of infrastructure in Ukraine because they can't make progress on the ground. And here's the the final point on the most recent events. They've been launching those missiles uh, primarily from bombers uh, that are flying either over the Caspian Sea or in Russian airspace, standoff munitions. What the Ukrainians did recently is launch drones to attack the air bases deep inside of Russia from which they've been, those planes have taken off and they've launched missiles. So, you know, the Ukrainians, they didn't just surprise the United States or the ambassador. The people who were the most surprised were the Russians. They didn't expect this. And let's just spend a second or two, John Sullivan, most recently back in the United States as ambassador representing this country in Russia. These attacks on infrastructure are meant to plunge Ukrainian civilians into darkness, coldness, and limit their ability to feed themselves. This is a darkness and starvation strategy. Correct. It is as barbaric as it gets. Absolutely. Well, you know, if what the Russians would say Mm -hmm. is that we're attacking, for example, 
uh, power stations that provide power that the Ukrainian military uses. Well, you know, that's taking... They, they are not launching these strikes on water treatment facilities, electrical generating stations, because the Ukrainian military has its own generators. They can power themselves. What they're really doing is attacking civilian infrastructure, bringing the war to 40-plus million Ukrainian citizens in the middle of a winter. And having been to Kiev and been even further north for three years and lived in Moscow... It's cold in Moscow today. I think the high yesterday was 9 degrees Fahrenheit. It's, it's barbaric. Any doubt in your mind, John Sullivan, most recently back from Moscow as U.S. ambassador to Russia, that Russia has committed war crimes in this? So what I, if you would ask me that question as ambassador, what I would say as a cautious diplomat was that there was ample evidence for there to be widespread investigations of multiple, innumerable war crimes because of the evidence we've seen. If you ask me, is John Sullivan walking down the street or sitting here having a cup of coffee? Hell yeah. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the video. I got a video. I, I got pictures after there was a Russian missile strike on a train station in Kramatorsk in Ukraine, in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in eastern Ukraine. And one of my colleagues at the embassy in Kiev, uh, we got evidence of what had happened, the aftermath. And she sent me an email in advance to tell me she was sending these photographs. Why? She said, because I couldn't, you you have to prepare yourself. You can't just click on this. You're not going to believe what you're going to see. And I was grateful for her that she had warned me because I'm sitting in my comfortable office in Moscow and I click on that link and I see the photographs of, you know, the baby carriages and the stuffed animals and... And worse. And worse. I mean, it was... Without going into too much detail, you saw the after effects on humanity horrific. Of All war is, right? Missiles. Which is what makes... Well, so there's the missile strikes themselves, which are barbaric, but... War itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Shakespeare, right? Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. That's what makes February 24th, in my opinion, so significant. They launched a full-scale, no-holes-barred ground war on an independent, sovereign country of 44 million people in the middle of the European continent. And they, did, they thought it was going to be over in weeks, and, yeah, they, they thought they were going to sub- subjugate Afghanistan, too. Right. So That is the voice of John Sullivan. Uh, you can tell already why I'm so glad he is with us to talk about this story, the story of the year. And there's no real competition. The war in Ukraine is the story of the calendar year 2022. More of that conversation with John Sullivan for segment two of The Take. When we come back, I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you in just a second. This episode? is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life 
by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Uh, Call your mother. That's always good advice. It also happens to be the supplier of our coffee here inside the Yours Truly Hotel downtown D.C. Grateful to both. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. John Sullivan, recently back in the United States as U.S. Ambassador to Russia, 2020 to 2022. John, uh, tell my audience what it should know and remember and admire about Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He is... Uh, an unexpected hero. He, you know, historians talk about do individuals influence the course of history? Uh, I remember as a history major in college, is it really broad social movements, economic factors? Here's a guy that everybody on both sides of the conflict, including, I would bet, most Ukrainians, who people thought after the war started on February 24th, this guy's got a shelf life of that can be measured in hours. And he has the nerve to stay there in Kiev when everybody is telling him to get out. But more than that, he's broadcasting, he's speaking to the world, particularly to the Europeans. And in the 24 and 48 hours after that war, when we saw this enormous change across Europe, particularly in Germany, the impact of that guy in his green T-shirt with the, with the full might of the Russian military bearing down on him to have his head on a platter. And he has the nerve to stay there and, and tell the world what's happening, why he's not leaving. That, I believe, had a significant, and it's continued to have an influence. Mm-hmm. His, the moral authority he has to speak now. Uh, and the Russians, of course, it, it infuriates them because, you know, they have no respect for him. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, he is the, the phrase beneath contempt. Mm-hmm. He's exhibited. He is beneath contempt for Putin. Putin can't tolerate the guy. And the fact that he has been this brave and this effective, I am sure is in Putin's head and driving him crazy. As I listened to you, it was, from your perspective, a crystallizing moment in the history of this story. Zelensky standing. Absolutely. And not abdicating, not fleeing. Absolutely. And that had an effect that was both psychological and practical in Europe. And you said Germany especially. Why Germany especially? Well, because Germany is, Germany and France, the Germans and the French, the Chancellor and the President are the two most significant... They're the leaders of Europe. And Germany in particular, with its economic throw weight. 
uh, and Germany has been, both for historical reasons and because of proximity and economic relations, as close to the Russians as any NATO member. We'll put Turkey to one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, uh, which which we can talk about. I mean, it, it, their connections to Russia, and it's historic. Putin himself in the KGB served in Dresden for years. Uh, so the fact that that country and across the political spectrum in Germany pivoted and people realized the German ambassador in Washington who's a friend of mine Emily Haber wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday or two days ago in which she described the pretty dramatic shift in German views on Russia I'm not saying it's all Zelensky but boy he personified it and he had the courage to do it and still does there's still I mean, he's every day he's in Kiev. He's a target, no doubt, no doubt. Um, let me ask you a self-congratulatory question: Why am I right to say this is the story of the year, twenty twenty-two? Um, could I beg to differ? Sure. Um, I think it's the story of the decade because this isn't going to end anytime soon. It's You're not. Ri- it's not. Okay. You're right. It's the, it's the story of 2022. It's going to continue. Mm-hmm. There's, for the foreseeable future, neither side, neither Putin nor Zelensky, neither the Russians, the nationalist Russians, nor almost all Ukrainians, they don't want to quit. Uh, the Ukrainians are, are fighting many, for their lives. Uh, and... So they're entrenched in their views. I, I, you know, President Zelensky has said he's not negotiating to give away Ukrainian territory. I don't think he has the political room to do that, even if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be president of Ukraine anymore. It's a, it's one of the catastrophic failures of Russia, of Putin's invasion, aggressive war against Ukraine. He's driven those... Slavic sisters and brothers in Ukraine that he says, that Putin says are part of this Ruski mirror, this Russian world, he's driven them so far away and against against Russia. And then Putin himself, he doesn't want an off-ramp. I used to joke with, people always ask me, uh, you know, what's the off-ramp right. for Putin, right? That's the, the usual question. And I've, I've joked with uh, Secretary Blinken, I said uh, he doesn't want an off ramp. Uh, it's it's like uh, General Sherman's statement about not running for president. If offered an off ramp, right. he will not. Ta- you know, Putin will not take it. Uh, he doesn't want it. He won't take it. What he does want, though, if we want to continue the turnpike analogy, mm-hmm. the highway analogy, he wants a rest area. He wants the. You know, if you're on the Jersey Turnpike, right. you know the the Vince <laughs> I've been Lombardi. There once or twice. Yeah. He wants the Vladimir Vladimirovich rest area. What does that mean That means he needs to regroup, re-equip, and rethink how he's going to conquer Ukraine. Because, by God, all the Russians say this, all the Russians from the top down, the goals of the special military operation will be achieved. That's the, They've been saying that for day one. They can't with us, even, you know, even in a country where... Uh, official lies are a way of life. They can't continue to say it's going according to plan. They've stopped saying that, mm-hmm. even when it was clear it wasn't. What they won't stop saying is 
yeah, it may not be going according to plan, but they won't stop saying that the goals are going to be achieved. And what are the goals he wants? He wants a Ukraine that's subjugated. He wants a Ukraine that is, at a minimum, as pliant and in his corner as Belarus is, which is mm-hmm. effectively a client state. You know what? If, the, if more if exactly. More. So you know what the the, the phrase is. Uh, they, the Russian Federation and Belarus have a treaty, and they're called. It's called. They're called union states. It's the union state of Russia and Belarus, and it's part of Putin's idea of of this Russian world. These that he's regathering R- Russian lands that were conquered during the Russian Empire during. Uh, you know, going back to Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, Ukraine's part of it. It's Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. They call it Triune Russia. It's uh, and they're Slavs, they're Russian, they're Orthodox, and Putin thinks they all need to be part of one entity that he controls. Now, there could be nominal borders, there could be nominal governments in Minsk and Kiev. But they got to be favorable to him. But your point a moment ago, what he's done in the mentality of the Slavs who live in Ukraine, who might have theoretically or conceptually been open to this, sure. they're no longer open because they've seen the bullet, the bayonet, the missile, and worse. Their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters mm-hmm. have been slaughtered. You know, the, the casualty figures... Kind of an impediment to a rapprochement. You would think, right? It's the, the casualty figures, I think, for civilians, the casualty figures are understated. The uh, the figures for the internally displaced persons and refugees are not. So uh, you know I've seen figures of ten thousand, uh, you know Ukrainians, innocent people, civilians killed. I think that's a pretty significant understatement. That's I'm not an expert, but my my gut instinct is that's an understatement. What's not in dispute is that almost fifteen million. This is a country of forty four million people. A third of the population has been driven from its homes. Displaced. They're either internally displaced within Ukraine, mm-hmm. roughly half of the 15 million, or they've had to flee the country. To the Poland other or someplace else. 15 million people. Right. So with the United States, a country of what, 340 million people? Mm-hmm. Imagine if a third of our population, 100 plus million people, had to leave their homes. Right. How would Americans feel about whoever had caused that? The voice of John Sullivan, recently back in the United States. He's teaching at Columbia and Georgetown. He was from 2020 to 2022 the U.S. ambassador in Russia. That meant he worked for President Trump and President Biden. Not very many people can say that. I'm Major Garrett, segment three of The Takeout, coming your way in just one minute. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. 
Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Uh, I want to spend a moment, just a smidge of time with our CBS News streaming audience watching. I want to show you this. So we don't collect a lot of swag here at The Takeout, but this is at the very top of all swag collected. (laughs) Hockey puck. I played hockey as a kid in San Diego, played it as an adult here in the D.C. area for several years before my children were born. From the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, signed by our guest, John Sullivan, on the back. You can see that there. That is a prized possession. So, Mr. Ambassador, thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Major. So I want to say something that is not... uh, in defense of Russia's ideology behind this war, but it is nevertheless true. The Russians regard their history in the 20th century as an invaded people twice. They also remember Napoleon being invaded then and having to defend their land against European invaders. You could put the Poles and the Swedes in there, how far back you want, but this is part of a Russian orientation to the world that is not irrelevant to this topic. And to say that and put it on the table is not to justify it, but it's to say it is a real part of their lived history. If you look at the casualties from World War II, America in two theaters, Europe and Asia, lost about just under about 700,000, 800,000 military personnel. Russia lost more than 22 million, if you add it all up. Civilian and, I'm sorry, civilian and military, but mostly military. They remember that. It's deeply embedded in their psyche and is part of this narrative within Russia that, to the degree it matters, sustains this war. True? Uh, At least in part. Absolutely. And uh, I respect that point of view. And that history. That history, obviously, in crediting the Red Army with the vic- their victory, which they celebrate as victory in the Great Patriotic War, they don't really acknowledge that there was a war in the Pacific, the Great Patriotic right, right, War, right. which would have been news to my father and his brother, who, my father on a, on a submarine, his brother on a, on a destroyer uh, in the Pacific. That would have been news to them. Uh, but here's, I engaged with a lot of Russians, both in the Russian government, from at the very top, the foreign minister, uh, foreign minister Lavrov, and Russian academics, discussing Russia's security concerns, needs, um, but they jumped the shark on January twenty fourth. February twenty fourth. Excuse me, February twenty fourth. You can't. Uh, I mean, they did the very thing they're trying to avoid. They want to avoid another war like World War II. They have started another war like World War II on, without any justification. They, you know, among things they've said, Ukraine was going to invade Russia. That's preposterous. Mm-hmm, right. The United States was going to, we're not going to invade Russia. We didn't invade the Soviet Union. It's preposterous. So I think it is, it's used by Russian leaders, by President Putin, it's, it's a way to motivate and develop uh, an esprit among Russians, calling upon the memory of their grandparents right. and the Great Patriotic War, and we have got to protect our homeland. 
But you can't protect your homeland by waging an unprovoked, immoral, illegal, massive war on the continent, which if you were concerned about security, you're trying to prevent in the first place. Right. And there's also this rhetorical flourish about, as you said earlier, beneath contempt, almost a mongrelization of Ukraine, calling them Nazis and worse. So absolutely. Uh, And it's tied, you know, as the as as the Russians uh, senior Russian officials, including Foreign Minister Lavrov, as they continue to make these arguments, they tie themselves into knots and get, you know, wind up making ridiculous statements. So, as you mentioned, Major, uh, they they say that uh, the Ukrainian government is engaged in a genocide against Russians in Ukraine, and it's a Nazi-led and inspired genocide. And in response to the question, I believe it was an Italian journalist said to the foreign minister of Russia, how can you say that when the democratically elected president of Ukraine, you say he's a Nazi, he's a Jew whose grandfather fought in the Red Army. And you know what Lavrov said? Lavrov said, well, it's, you know, it's well known that Hitler himself was at least part Jewish, so you can be Jewish and still be a Nazi. It caused enormous problems. It caused problems. We call that a stretch. A bit, yeah, right? Diplomatically. He's, he's tagged out at first base. He, <laughs> he tried to stretch to make it back to first, and he did not make it. Putin had to call uh, the Israeli prime minister to apologize. But it's an example of they'll say anything. anything right. But one thing I wanted to To justify make, the unjustifiable. To justify the unjustifiable. One thing you, you said, uh, and you're quite right with the statistics— but you said Russia in, in Russian casualties in the Second World War it was the Soviet, Soviet Union. Union, right? And you know what's important to note? And um, I used to have the statistics at the uh, at the tip of my on the tip of my tongue. I believe per capita military and civilian casualties in the Soviet Union during the Second World War per capita, Ukraine and Belarus had higher per capita. Casualties because they were part Russia. of the Soviet Union, yes, part of the Red Army. I believe there's a famous picture of U.S. soldiers and Red Army soldiers meeting on the Elbe River. Mm-hmm. Those are Ukrainians. Ukrainians. Wow. Here's another fact. I believe this is true. My Russian Russian trolls will correct me if I misspeak. Um, there's a huge number. I won't make a comparison to Russia. Um, I'll just say there's a huge number of Ukrainians who were uh, declared heroes of the Soviet Union posthumously for their sacrifices in the Great Patriotic War. What Putin has done is basically, you know, you talk about besmirching their legacy. They fought for their, you know, they fought, sure, they were fighting for the Red Army and the Soviet Union, but it was their town that had been occupied by the Nazis. And men and they died by the thousands in Ukraine, Ukrainians to expel the Nazis. And Putin, what Putin has done is sweep that under the rug. He claims everything good that the Soviet Union did, which wasn't a lot, was Russia. Anything bad, like the famine in Ukraine, f- fake news, or right. Didn't and it do, ignore, well, ignore, fault. don't pay any attention to right. that. Right. So. Some of my audience may remember at various stages of this war stories about is Putin physically well? Is he mentally well? What's your take on both? I believe uh, my friend Bill Burns said this. 
the Bill prob- Burns. Uh, f- uh, director of the Central <laughs> Intelligence Agency, <laughs> former uh, ambassador to Russia, yep. many several years before I, and I was uh, deputy secretary of state. He was deputy secretary of state. He's made something of himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Bill became director mm-hmm. of Central Intelligence. I got sent to Siberia uh, after being deputy secretary. I used that line in him, and he, he chuckles. Uh, but Bill said... Uh, the problem with Putin's health is that he's too healthy. Um, there's no reason. We don't have reason to believe that he is in imminent Any physical demand. distress? But How is he having, mentally? Having, well, sticking on physical for the right. time being. The last time I, I've been in his presence a, a fair number of times, but not uh, in the last year. Physically, as mm-hmm. I've been as close to him as I am to you now, and every time I was, including last summer, su- excuse me, summer of twenty one, he looked great, mm-hmm. really great. You would not have thought he was then sixty nine years old. He's now seventy. Uh, I'm several many several years younger than he, and he looks a whole heck of, heck of a lot healthier and, uh, than 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 I do. But this year, at least on camera, he seems he seems puffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fatigued, he must be under a huge amount of stress, but uh, not as much stress as Ukrainian civilians. Clearly, oh, absolutely. I mean, he's uh, he's he's um, you know. I wonder what he thinks though about. He was very confident, but there's that nothing. His military, there was, there's nothing in your mind that would suggest to the world that his grip on power is shaky or his ability mentally to see his way through the next year or two yeah, is in any way compromised. I don't have any reason to think. I, I believe he is supremely rational. I don't think he's irrational. Uh, but as the as the war goes on and the stress, the stress mm-hmm. for him mounts, I think some of the statements that we've heard and in, in other senior Russian government officials have made, they're pretty extreme. Right. Which uh, may be indicative of some other underlying tensions. Yeah. That's the voice of John Sullivan. Segment four of the takeout coming your way in just one moment. Stay tuned. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. John Sullivan, recently back from Moscow, where he was U.S. ambassador to Russia, 2020 to 2022, is our guest. You can't explain Vladimir Putin. I wouldn't ask you to do that. But what should my audience most remember about 
who he is and what he is setting in motion in Ukraine? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, Major, is that we in the United States often don't we hear what he says, but we don't really listen and absorb it. He's been telling us not precisely what was going to happen for years. And we in the West... Before we, the war started, he had a whole letter where he wrote basically his grievances his and grievances. what... Get up close to the mic, John. He, I'm sorry, his grievances, uh, and he's been talking about this since his, he gave a famous speech in Munich in, you know, in 2006, seven. Uh, we don't listen. In some sense, it's hard for us. I've no, I noticed this across the board in Russia. We we want to hear what we want to hear, mm. and we think other people behave and act like us in the West, uh, and they have a different viewpoint. He has a different viewpoint, and uh, we need to do a better job of listening and really paying attention, which is why when he makes threats about nuclear weapons, we take them seriously. I don't think he's going to use them. Mm -hmm. I don't think the U.S. government assesses that he's going to use them, the statements I've seen. But we need to listen when he talks. When you say you don't think he's going to use them, is part of that if he was going to use them, he would have used them already? Uh yeah, you know, I've seen things that suggest that the dispersal of Ukrainian armed forces, that tactically it wouldn't give him much of a military advantage. I think the bigger problem for him is, and this, this veers into a whole different larger area, is China. Mm -hmm. So with, there's, you know, there was his famous visit to Beijing right before the Olympics, right? Yep. And he and uh, Xi Jinping announced... Uh, this new un unlimited, no limits partnership, right? But we found out that there is a limit. There is a limit. No nukes. There's always a limit. No nukes. She yep. said that. Yep. Modi, India's Indian, prime minister. They're not gonna if he uses a nuclear right. weapon. Right. And G has said that. So mm -hmm. there are limits. Right. To and G has said it. Right. Now we said it in a way. It wasn't directed at Russia, but it's not as though the Ukrainians I'm are going to use nuclear weapons. I'm glad you mentioned weapons. Prime Minister Modi. On this program many, many months ago, Mark Warner, co-chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said in response to a question from me that he was deeply disappointed in India sitting on the sidelines effectively during this war as the world's largest democracy. Are you? Yes. Uh, what do you think their game is here? Well, part of it is, I mean, India has been over decades uh, had a had a close relationship with the Soviet Union mm -hmm. its military has it's dependent on just as Ukraine has been as we've as uh, the world has discovered with you know the Ukrainians using old weapons going back you know to Soviet production uh, India had a similarly close relation not as close as Ukraine and Russia but Indi the Indian military had a very close relationship with the Soviet Union the split was US Pakistan India Ru India Soviet Union it's a it's in part a legacy of that uh, but I, I I share Senator Warner's view I'm not surprised about uh, Xi Jinping's reaction, but for a democratically elected mm -hmm. leader of and of India, India may come to regret that over time. Particularly given the claims 
to territory that it considers mm. its own yes. by Pakistan and China. No doubt, no doubt. For the audience who's listening, John Sullivan, why should the United States care about the future of Ukraine in 2023, and why should American taxpayers continue to send financial, meaning economic, right. and military aid? Well, um, look, we can discuss whether it's appropriate to send certain weapon systems to Ukraine. Our level of financial support, burden sharing with our allies. I'm. My view is that uh, it is in the United States national security interest to continue uh, the uh, President Biden's support, financial and with with weapons carefully uh carefully uh considered weapons sales uh and and donations to ukraine but here's what we can't we can't take our eye off the threat that vladimir putin and the russian nationalists who've launched this aggressive war pose what's happened what happened on February 24th, as, as you said at the outset, Major, hadn't happened on the European continent in 77 years. My father, my uncles, fought in that war. Now, Japanese Empire had attacked our Navy at Pearl Harbor. I'm not suggesting this is World War II. It's not a, a global con, uh, conflict. But think about this. The country that has launched this aggressive war with all of the the evidence of war crimes that we've seen that has upended the globe the global economy mm-hmm. and so forth and um, ukraine is obviously the biggest victim but the russians themselves are the second biggest victim think about the fact that the country that did this is one of the five permanent members of the security council Correct. of the united nations right. and can veto every proposal that goes before the UN Security Council. What does it say, what does it tell Xi Jinping, other potential, uh, other leaders who have claims to territory, real or imagined, that it's okay to launch an aggressive war and kill civilians in another country to fulfill those claims. We can't allow that to happen. And we have to, and this is why when I mentioned the transformation in Germany, the Germans realized we're not dealing with a government uh, leadership that they they have gone beyond all reasonable bounds that would constrain any moral... Uh, government that complies with international law and its obligations under the the UN Charter. So this is a big deal, and it's going to be a big deal for a long time because this violence isn't going to stop anytime soon. Quick answer from you, please. Do you believe on the other side of this there will be a reassessment of that Security Council, an enlargement to possibly dilute Russia's influence? Uh I, I believe it is under consideration mm-hmm. and discussion. I think President Biden himself yes. has mentioned it, right? Right. Whether it will actually happen. I mean, it's a chicken and egg. And some, I, I what the right analogy is, because Russia can veto. Right. So it would have to be the General Assembly. General Assembly has been very a favorable forum for us, right? Mm-hmm. Right after the war, 141 countries. Think about the language they used. They condemned and deplored and, uh, the Russian invasion and demanded that Russia withdraw. Now, 47 countries abstained, right. 
But That's still a pretty good ratio. That is, is the voice of John Sullivan. For our radio audience, we need to bid you farewell for those on CBS News streaming. And on the podcast platforms, stay tuned, as I know you always do, to the Takeout Outtake, especially Alan Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. John Sullivan is our special guest. John was, from 2020 to 2022, the U.S. ambassador to Russia, the two most consequential years since the Cold War in our relations. Uh, He also was Deputy Secretary of State, acting Secretary of State for six weeks between Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo in the Trump administration. Um, He's also been counsel to presidential campaigns, been involved in government and politics and law at a very, very high level for most of his career. I want to talk to you about American journalists or pseudo-journalists on television who echo Russian propaganda about this war in Ukraine. What do you think about that? Well, if they are doing it intentionally... Uh, it's despicable, uh, and maybe more than that. If they fall into the trap of they think that Putin is in his own Slavic way uh, picked up the cudgel and engaged in the culture wars that we're having here, they are so sadly naive and misled. This is not a government in, in Moscow that is, they've just enacted legislation that basically makes it a crime for LGBTI individuals to express themselves, to mention it in uh, any form, whether it's in in the press, in a book. Uh, this is not, uh, you know, there was a, a Supreme Court case that was just argued yesterday, I think, or two days ago about... Uh, the, uh, you know, whether a baker or a photographer mm-hmm. has to provide service right. for uh, a gay couple that is, uh, is getting, getting married uh, and balancing their rights uh, as a couple for, uh, to, to wed with the individual's right to uh, have their religious views uh, or moral views and not participate in that. That's not the debate that's going on in Russia today. We're talking about people, uh, a government that is brutally suppressing 
uh, gays and lesbians in Russia. I just use this as an example. They have crushed civil society, journalists, any, Descent, indep- any independent journalists, any criticism. are either in a labor camp or left Russia. So, and now they have waged this aggressive war, which we've spent the last hour talking about with all of its moral and legal implications. Anybody who is misled and thinks that the Russian Federation, as led by the current government in the Kremlin, is some sort of ally, ally maybe, they wouldn't use the word ally, but, you know, we need to cut them some slack. Mm -hmm. They're just defending their own tradition, their culture, which is what Putin himself says. That's baloney. Mm -hmm. That is baloney. That is the, I mean, it reminds me of... Uh, the America Firsters during the 1930s right. saying the same things about, you know, there are famous news clips of Americans saying, you know, geez, it's great what Chancellor Hitler has done in Germany and taken it out of the Depression and building highways and the trains are running on time. And, you know, we the Germans were really mistreated after the, after the Great War and the Treaty of Versailles. We need to cut the Chancellor some... Yeah. That's Echoes. morally... I believe, the equivalent of what those people are doing today. So we can talk about money and weapons Mm -hmm. and how much we can afford. What we can't debate is the moral imperative to support Ukraine and to get the rest of the world. We've done a pretty good job of it, but there's more work to be done. The rest of the world, China, India, etc., to support us. My audience loves this uh, part of the conversation because it has a fun and games dimension to Uh it. So three questions that every uh, guest at our show has taken and answered and enjoyed answering. So take these in whichever order you prefer, John Sullivan. Most influential book in your life and why? All-time favorite movie? And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're really going to enjoy some music, what music are you most likely to listen to, artist or genre? Oh, my gosh. All right. Favorite movie is Casablanca. I watch it. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. It's going to offend a lot of my friends who know I'm 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 probably more knowledgeable about The Godfather. Mm-hmm. That's let me amend that. It, Godfather is one A. Casablanca is one B. Uh, when I I gave remarks when I uh, got sworn in before a big crowd at the State Department, sworn in as ambassador. And the thesis of my remarks was, um, you know, why am I leaving Mahogany Row in this cushy job as Deputy Secretary of State to go to Russia? President Trump, by the way, thought I was crazy. He couldn't believe I wanted to do it. And I said, I can tell you why, and I will quote from The Godfather. The very first line of the movie, for those of you who know, the, know, the screen is black. Yep. I believe in in America. America. And that was my theme throughout. So Godfather is one. So this is, I'm thinking out loud here. So I'm going to, Godfather is one. The funeral home director says that. I believe in America. I believe in, exactly. Exactly. And uh, he later has to do a favor for the Godfather. That day may never come. And then it did come when Sonny got whacked at the toll booth. Uh, (laughs) Gosh. uh, Book. Oh God, book! I'm Most, sure there are many choices. Yeah, let me let me take that under advisement. Sure. And the the third music. music. Okay. Um, I have my Spotify playlists are crazy, eclectic. I used to like to say because the Russians would uh, would monitor all of whatever electronic devices I had. 
and the FSB, the 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 KGB successor, has uh, a large unit. We think it's you know well over five thousand, maybe seven thousand uh, officers who are dedicated to smothering the U.S. mission, the U.S. embassy in Moscow. So they got a lot of people who are looking at what I do, what I read, what I say, etc. And I said they look at my playlist and they think this guy's a nut. He's got Bob Marley. He's got Harry James. He's got you know Willie Nelson, Linda Ronstadt. It's a pretty, uh, pretty eclectic. Uh, uh, I'd have to say Willie. Okay, Willie. Oh boy, book. Jeez. Um, wow, Catch Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might imagine I know that book well because there's a character, major, 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 major. I am well aware of that. So as a and child, I kept being asked, have you read Catch-22? And I'm so, like, my name is Major. I know all about it. I'm seven. So, <laughs> well, in, in thinking of your, your name, Major, um, I, I now know that you are a hockey player and a hockey fan. I am. But when I think of Major Garrett and I think of that name, I think that's the name of a running back for a high-powered SEC offense, Major Garrett yes. at tailback for Alabama. Well, there was an Alabama running back named Major Ogilvie. Major Ogilvie. Yes. A really kind of a tragic figure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yep. So, anyway. Anyway, there we yep. go. Very good. John Sullivan, a pleasure. Thanks so much for spending time with us. We'll see, you next, we'll see you again next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.